This is Thoughts from the Metal Cavern, where only one opinion matters, and it's not yours. Hi there, and thanks for returning to another episode of Thoughts from the Metal Cavern. Well, it's uh, cricket season. Well, actually, it's not. (laughs) Cricket season's been wiped off the calendar in Australia in February, but anyway... The Australian men's cricket team are currently in India, about to start their test series that uh, will make or break the reputations of not only the team, but a number of the players in the squad. And so we'll have a quick look over what we can expect over the next few weeks going forward for Australia. The Australian women's team is in South Africa for the T20 World Cup that they've won the last two times, and can they make it three in a row? Well, the pressure's on from England and India and New Zealand and several other teams, and we'll have a quick look over what their prospects are as well. And Aaron Finch, surprisingly enough, has finally announced his retirement from international cricket. And what does that mean for the captaincy of the white ball teams going forward? Yeah, well, you might even have a listen to that as well. So thank you for coming back to Thoughts from the Metal Cavern, where we will discuss cricket ad nauseum. And we'll see just how far we can go with this exciting subject. Welcome to all of you who have managed to get past that intro and didn't get scared off by the fact that, once again, we have another cricket-related intro and uh, episode. So the tour of India starts, as I'm recording this, starts tomorrow, and the mind games have already begun, and especially today there have been photos coming out of India of the pitch for the first test, and it seems as though uh, the middle bit is getting... uh, reasonably well rolled and getting watered and making sure it's all right (laughs) but the two ends are being left bare and barren and not getting too much work put on them at all and it's interesting about the outcry that is coming out of certain people in Australia now who are asking the ICC to come in before the test has started to uh, check the pitch and make sure that it's being prepared to their standards And of course, if you're Indian and you're looking at all this, uh, you're considering the fact that when India came to Australia, that uh, the pitchers didn't seem to get prepared well enough for them. (laughs) Who can forget India being bowled out for 36 in their second innings in Adelaide in that pink ball test. So is it hypocrisy or is it mind games or is it just cricket as we expect it? Now we all know that home team advantage is important and it's it's become more important I think in the cricket world and it's almost impossible for teams to win away from home unless they have a great team one of their great teams and the opposition either are not in form or they are at their weaker points doesn't always work when you consider that uh, this time last year the West Indies were beating England in a test series at home in the West Indies. 
And since then, with uh, the introduction of um, Brendan McCullum as coach and Ben Stokes as captain, their fortunes have completely turned around. And one suspects that if they uh, play cricket the way they're playing now, that they would have obliterated the West Indies in the way that they're currently playing their cricket. So it's not always the conditions. It comes down to the temperament and the ability of the teams at hand. Now, for most of you, you'll already know that Australia has only won once in India since 1969. And that was in that famous tour in 2003-2004, where Australia had one of their great teams. And this team was so great that they were able to defeat India in India while Ricky Potting was injured and didn't play. And we had uh, Langer and Hayden opening the batting. And we had Simon Kadich and Damian Martin and Darren Lehman and Michael Clark on his first uh, tour. And that was pretty much Australia's batting lineup. And of course, Adam Gilchrist was captain. And we also know what a freak he was as a, a wicketkeeper batsman. And the bowling lineup of Glenn McGrath, Jason Gillespie, Michael Kasprovich, and Shane Warne was just at their peak and tailor-made for the conditions. Uh, people, un- I think Michael Kasprovich is completely underrated for what he did in his career as a bowler. And on that tour in India, he was fantastic. And if you can see the highlights and watch Jason Gillespie bowl on that tour, he bowled like lightning and he bowled fast and he bowled straight with a bit of movement. And of course, McGrath bowled as McGrath did. And Warren bowled as, as Warren did. And I think that is the difference between Australia at that time. They had bat, batsmen like Lehman, who was an excellent player of spin. Damian Martin, who was an excellent player of spin. Michael Clark, who, even though it was his debut series, proved over his career that he was an excellent player of spin. So he had all these guys who were there who played spin well and were not afraid to use their feet and dance down the wicket. Look at the way Matthew Hayden used to play spinners, especially in 2001. So that was the difference. Australia had batsmen who were not afraid to play spin, whether it turned or it didn't. And we had a bowling attack that was at its absolute peak. And with three fast bowlers, rather than trying to pick two spinners, that was what worked for Australia at that time. When we were last there in 2017, Australia went really close to winning that Test Series. They won the first test when Stephen O'Keefe came in and took 12 wickets. And that seemed to be more about the fact that India just didn't rate him. And so they threw their wickets away to his bowling. If you look at the next three tests, he could barely get a wicket because from that point on, the Indian batsman decided not to play any silly shots, just wait for the loose ball and not try to hit him out of the attack as such. Um, Also on the last tour... Um, Virat Kohli scored, I think, a total of 46 runs in the three tests he played before he got injured. And that seems unlikely to happen again. We may be lucky, but it just doesn't seem as likely to happen again. And India have been waiting for this. I mean, they've won the last two series in Australia, uh, one against what was considered a understrength Australian team with Smith and Warner not playing. But certainly on the last tour, they won with what could almost be considered a second 11. They had so many injuries. So the fact that they've beaten Australia both of the last tours of Australia, they will be just itching to do that again. And there's no doubt that their spinners are going to be enormously important. Um, 
Ashwin, of course, has always caused Australia problems in India. And Jadeja hasn't played for 12 months, but he's suddenly fit enough to come on the field to face Australia again. And you just know that with so many left-handed batters in that top order, that those two, especially Ashwin, is going to be enormously important. So what can Australia do to win this series? Well, ideally, I think they would love to have had Josh Hazelwood fit and perform that role that Jason Gillespie did for Australia almost two decades ago. But he's injured again for at least the first test, so he will not be there. Mitchell Stark is also out for the first test, uh, and his ability to get the tail out and to reverse swing the old ball will also be missed. And so we're going to be relying on the captain, Pat Cummins, to do all the heavy lifting with the, with the uh, new ball. Now, it's likely that he'll be partnered by Scott Boland, uh, who has shown over the years that he's, well, has been called ever since he's come onto the scene as a MCG specialist. And a number of times they've been, we've been told by the media, at least, and commentators that the MCG has been a flat wicket for many years and that he has, he's a specialist on those kind of wickets. Well, I don't know if you've seen the last couple of MCG wickets, but uh, they certainly haven't been flat. (laughs) And he's certainly been able to get a lot out of them, as have the other bowlers. Five years ago, of course, the MCG pitch was just dead. Uh, It was probably killed Jackson Bird's career. But since then, there's been a lot gone into the wickets. So whether you would call him a flat track specialist is another thing. But there's no doubt that uh, his ability to put the ball on a 20-cent piece and keep banging away on that an outside-off stump is going to be pretty important in at least that first test. And whether he plays beyond that, of course, will depend on injuries and the game, the state of the game, I guess. Now, if all of Australia's fast bowlers have been fit, it would have been interesting to see if they still went with two spin options. It seems likely that they probably will at this stage, and with Nathan Lyon locked in for one, That therefore seems to mean that Todd Murphy will not be the other as they will not wish to play two spin bowlers of the same type. It then means that you have to go with either uh, Ashton Agar, who played the last test in Sydney, or Mitchell Swepson, who was the leg spinner. Now, Mitchell Swepson played last year on the subcontinent in the Pakistan test and the Sri Lankan tests and did okay without setting the world on fire. Ashton Agar, I think everyone's been waiting for him to come good and always has that second bow, uh, second arrow to his bow uh, in the fact that he could score runs. And he's an excellent fielder, so that also helps. Now, India is not a great record for uh, wrist spin bowlers in India. Uh, Shane Warne, obviously, not just because they can play spin and because they are terrific batters, but his record in India is one of his worst. So it would appear likely that Agar will get first crack at that second spin bowling position if that's the way Australia goes. Now, the other problem that Australia has is that uh, their big fast bowling all-rounder, Cameron Green, is not going to be able to bowl in the first test. Apparently, he'll be fit to bat, but he will not be able to bowl. So will the selectors go with him at number six anyway, or will they decide that they will rest him and they will go with a spin specialist batter, which is who they picked in Peter Hanscom and who did the job five years ago for Australia 
when he was called into that squad. The other option is to go with Matt Renshaw at six, as he did and played in Sydney, and utilise his part-time off-spin and then play the three fast bowlers, which could then be uh, Cummins and Boland and perhaps uh, Lance Morris, the wild thing from Western Australia, and be given his test debut. So many options, and at this point in time, given that we are 24 hours away from the start when I'm recording this, and no one really knows which way Australia are going to go. It seems most likely that they will throw all their eggs in the basket and that they will pick Cameron Green and uh, put their faith in his batting against spin at number six, and that they will pick the two spinners in Agar and Lyon and just the two fast bowlers in Cummins and Boland and hope that those guys can do the job and that uh, Nathan Lyon bowls 400 overs and allows the other three to bowl from the other end. We, of course, have those five left-handers up in the... or, or we are potentially five left-handers in the top seven. Uh, Warner and Kawaja again will open. Kawaja's bowling, uh, batting against spin has improved out of sight over the last four years. Warner's play at any level against any type of bowling has been terrible apart from the Melbourne Test. He's really due, and I'm sure that he probably believes that this is his chance to shine and his chance to show in India that he can be the force that Australia needs. And honestly, they really need Warner to fire if they're going to win in India. They need him to come out at the top and fire away and score quick, not just 30s, 40s or 50s. They need him to score 100s and really put the Indians on the back foot immediately and allow Labashain and Smith to then come out and do their job at three and four, which would then again allow Travis Head to come out at five with runs behind him and be able to perform his party tricks that he's been able to do in Australia over the last 12 months or so. For Australia to win, that would be the ideal situation. If it gets tough with the batting, then Australia are going to be on the back foot the whole time. Now, India will obviously be favourites. They've got new young kids coming into their team and they've still got the old heads there who everyone expects will perform against Australia. Is the pressure on India or is the pressure on Australia? To be honest, I believe the pressure's on India because if they lose a Test Series in India, then they have to wait another four years before they get a chance to gain revenge. And the way they've been playing their cricket lately, which is a lot of white ball cricket and not many Test matches... And some of their important players have been injured for some time, not just Jadeja, but their big fast bowler as well. If those guys aren't at 100% and can't bowl at 100%, then they could be put under pressure by a resurgent Australia. In the long run, it's going to be a great series. And of course, whether you are an Indian supporter or an Australian supporter, what we want to see is a terrific series. And ideally, we would like to see Australia win that series. But if it's close and the cricket's good, then we can't ask for any more than that when it comes to test cricket. With the Women's World T20 World Cup, try and get my facts straight and uh, speak properly, starting this week as well, there's a plethora of cricket out there and not just this rubbish T20 stuff that's at domestic level where there are 17 different 
uh, tournaments going on around the world, it seems, all at the same time. Now, the 10 best teams in the world are over in South Africa to, to compete for this trophy, one that Australia has won at its last two uh, tournaments. But can they do it again? Now, they are still the number one team in the world, and they still appear to be the team to beat. But who else is out there making a show for this? There are two groups, obviously, and then the top two teams will make the semi-finals, and then there will be a final. So there's no Super Sixes, there's no extend this beyond 14,000 weeks and have 16 chances to try and win the, the tournament. You finish in your top two in your group, and then you play the semi-finals, and that's where it's all going to end up. So Group A has Australia, Bangladesh, New Zealand, South Africa, and Sri Lanka. Now, Australia have had a really bad uh, ability to lose the first game of these tournaments and then have to struggle to get back into a position where they can make a semi-final and then go on to win the tournament after that. We'll see if that happens again. But you would expect that Australia are going to take up one of those two semi-final positions. Their main uh, adversaries here will be New Zealand, who they play in their first match. And New Zealand have had a situation where they probably haven't lived up to uh, the talent that they have had in the last three or four years. And unfortunately for them, some of their better players have now retired. But they've got some good young girls coming through as well. And they're still led by, as ever by Sophie Devine, who will continue to plug away. And Amelia Kerr, obviously, will be the other main player for them in this tournament. You would expect that they will probably be one of the other two uh, teams in the semi-finals. Their main competition will come from, obviously, the host nation, South Africa. But South Africa have been doing their own thing as well. In fact, they had time trials to select their players. And if they didn't get through this time trial, they wouldn't get picked. And so Dana Van Niekerk, who has been one of their long-term great players, is not in this squad because she missed the time trial mark by 18 seconds. Um, an interesting decision, that. And <laughs> one wonders whether they may regret that as we get through the tournament. Obviously, they have terrific players as well who will also uh, be pushing for that second semi-final spot. And in essence, it comes down to probably between New Zealand and South Africa as to who will join Australia in the semi-finals. Both Bangladesh and Sri Lanka are improving on the world stage and this will be a really good marker for them as to where they are in the current uh, world rankings and how close they are to being able to compete with these top-level teams in the T20 game. In Group B, we have England, India, Ireland, Pakistan, and the West Indies. Now, again, we probably have three teams competing for two spots in the semi-finals. Uh, England, you would most likely believe, is going to be one of those teams. They are still as strong as they have been for the last... Well, forever in women's cricket. They've always been one of those top two nations. Uh, India, of course, are on the improve and continue to be on the improve. One wonders how they will progress over the next 
two or three years once the women's IPL starts, which is happening this year. And once those Indian women are getting uh, more competition at the top level more often, much like has happened with the men's team with the IPL and getting used to T20 cricket and working out all the tactics required as to win those games. So you would see, I would think, in years to come, that the Indian women will improve out of sight. Of course, the West Indies have been there, and they've been in the final in recent years. Uh, they also have had some retirements, uh, so they're probably just starting to drop back a little bit. Uh, but again, they will be one of those three teams that will try to be looking to make semi-finals. They would need to spring an upset, one suspects, over either England or India to force their way in. And of course, Ireland and Pakistan are in the same position that Sri Lanka and Bangladesh are. They're looking to be on the improve. They'll be looking to find a marker as to where they're actually at at this current point in time and what they need to do in two years' time to be uh, more of a threat to those top-level teams. So... The T20 World Cup starts very shortly for the women. Uh, it, there'll be some good cricket. There'll be some average cricket. And Australia looking to win three in a row. You certainly wouldn't bet against them. Uh, and perhaps it's there for them to lose rather than to necessarily, necessarily win. Aaron Finch has finally retired, something we knew he was going to do probably, I don't know, two years ago it felt like. Uh, but certainly after the T20 World Cup, there just didn't seem any reason for him to continue playing. Or even if he did, perhaps he wouldn't make that team. Despite the fact that he did seem to find some runs in the recent Big Bash. Now, his career was fantastic and it shouldn't be understated that he has two, I think, two of the top three or top four scores in T20 international cricket of all time. Uh, and as a leader for Australia, he was fantastic. And of course, he played in not only, and captain, not only the T20 World Cup winning team 18 months ago, but he played in the 2015 uh, ODI World Cup team that won the World Cup. So he's been a great servant for Australia and he should always be remembered that way. So now we look towards who's going to captain the T20 team. Currently, Pat Cummins has been named as the captain of the one-day team. Whether that sticks or not, I'm not really sure, and I don't think anybody is. But leading up into this year's World Cup for the ODIs, you would suspect that he will hold on to that position all the way through 2023. But... To be a three-format captain is a very difficult thing, and so I suspect that he also won't be named as the T20 captain whenever they next play T20 games at international level. So who are they going to pick? They can't pick David Warner because, of course, we had that debate about whether he would have his suspension overturned to be a captain, and, of course, that all went to mud very quickly, and so he won't be available to do that job. Do they fall back on Steve Smith again and see if he wants to be the man that leads us in that format? Do they go with someone like Josh Hazelwood, who has also shown that he's capable of being a captain and indeed is now probably just about our best T20 fast bowler? Or do they go with someone else? 
Of course, during the week, the Big Bash League had its finale, and the Perth Scorchers have once again finished as winners. Last year, they beat the Sydney Sixers in the final, and this year, it was the Brisbane Heat. And both years, Ashton Turner was the captain, and he has shown terrific leadership skills, as he has at different levels all the time. But he's now led Australia's premier T20 domestic team to two consecutive titles. Does that mean that he is ready to take on the job for Australia? Has he done enough to be selected in that team in the first place before we come about to whether he is the captain? Now, this is the difficult part about picking the T20 Australian team because generally they're going for the same sort of players uh, as they always have. Maxwell and Stoinis are in there. Travis Head is likely to be involved, you would think, the way he's batting. Steve Smith... Is he going to be even in the team after his big bash performances? Or are they going to just forget about him and just go back with who they have? How much longer is David Warner going to be playing? Uh, who will be opening the batting with him? Is it Cameron Green who tried it there? Is Cameron Green a possibility of captain the team? There are so many options at the moment and so many names being thrown forward. Glenn Maxwell has been thrown up again if he ever gets back from injury to do that job. No one really knows. And this is where... It's a really interesting process going into the next T20 World Cup because firstly, the selectors have to decide upon the team they want to get to that point and whether the older guys like Warner and Smith are going to be a part of that, as well as Stoinis and Maxwell. How much further do they go? And then secondly, they have to find a captain who is going to be there for the whole journey. So you need to have someone who's got a bit of youth about themselves to make sure that they are still there at the end of the time that the World Cup comes about. So the fact that Ashton Turner's name has been thrown into the ring is a really interesting one. Now there's no doubt we know that he can play, and we know that his game is suited to the short-form game. And he can bowl a few overs as well, which is also handy. And he has a really good head on his shoulders in regards to captaincy. So is he one that will be pushed? I'll bet Western Australia are going to push him, that's for sure. But is he a guy that the selectors are willing to sort of pick out of uh, Australian representational sort of obscurity and throw him back into the mix and see how it goes? Whatever happens, and we know that 2023 is basically about the Indian Test Series and then the Ashes and hopefully the World Test Championship final, the, the smaller form of the game, the T20 form of the game, still has a few questions to be answered getting closer to the end of the year. Alrighty, thank you for once again tuning in to this uh, program of mine. Uh, A little bit of a discussion about the cricket. I did really want to do, firstly, a longer program, and I also wanted to do it More than 24 hours out from the start of the Test Series. But sometimes time just catches up with you and you can't do it, especially when your house has been torn apart and your son's playing more cricket than anybody else in the world at the moment. So for those of you who have made it this far, thanks once again for indulging me in my cricket talk. Maybe you got something out of it and maybe you didn't. And no matter what, I hope that Whatever you think about cricket or about this program, I would like to think that perhaps you would come back and check out the next episode somewhere down the track 
of my little podcast, Thoughts from the Metal Cavern. Cheers. You have been listening to a Metal Cavern production.